Right. Well, it is a joy to be here with you today. Uh, such a privilege. Getting excited for Christmas? Yeah. So good to be in the presence of the Lord with you guys. Oh, God is so amazing. I love this church so much. You guys are amazing. Seriously. You're amazing. Love you guys. For real. So, so I'm Rich Cleary. I'm a pastor at Kingdom Living Messianic Congregation that meets right here in your building on Saturdays. And on behalf of Kingdom Living, I just want to thank you for your outrageous generosity to Kingdom Living to let us come and meet in your building and have our services here and do all kinds of stuff here. Uh, just want to thank you. Do you guys know you guys let us use your building rent-free? Wow. So we had been meeting as a congregation at uh, 435 in Cabrera at Crossroads Church. And great, great church, a great location, beautiful. But we were growing out of it, and we didn't know where we were going to meet next. We knew we needed a new location. We had been praying. But we weren't just praying for a new building. We were praying for a new relationship uh, with a church that wanted to partner with us for the gospel in Kansas City. We had been praying every Tuesday night, just, Lord, we just want to play whatever role you have for us in what you're doing in the church in Kansas City and bringing together Jew and Gentile in Jesus. And, Lord, give us a relationship with the church. And I remember the day Matt Miller told me over the phone that they, New City, wanted to offer Kingdom Living this building as a meeting location for our congregation rent-free. As Matt recalls, I kept saying, wow, wow, wow. Uh, but it's not it. It's, it's, the generosity is amazing. It's such a picture of Jesus to us. It was such a blessing from Jesus to us. But the relationship, the partnership, that's what we are crying out for. And you guys, you guys are incredible. Um, one of the, uh, the reasons uh, Matt told me that he wanted to offer this opportunity to us for was because he wanted to bless Israel. Now, you may be wondering, what's the connection to wanting to bless Israel and offering this space to Kingdom Living Messianic Congregation? Well, our congregation is part of an organization called Tikkun International, and it's headquartered in Jerusalem. And we have congregations all throughout Israel and throughout the United States. And these are Messianic congregations that are totally committed to the gospel, totally committed to the unity of Jew and Gentile in Jesus, but we're also committed to create congregational homes for Jewish believers to remain Jewish and follow Jesus as their Messiah, Lord, and Savior. And by you giving us this opportunity to, to come and worship in your space, you are sowing into that. You are sowing into our Jewish ministry, and seeing more Jewish people come to know Jesus as their Messiah. So, thank you. Thank you. Now, <clears throat> I have the highest respect for New City Church. Uh, for some reason, when I think of New City, I think of the eternal city. Revelations 22, the eternal city, the new Jerusalem. Uh, new City functions as a signpost pointing people to, to Jesus and the way to inhabit the eternal city through Jesus Christ. You guys are a signpost of hope. 
saying there is a way to have eternal life, and it's through Jesus. And New City is pointing the way to entrance into the eternal city. The New Jerusalem, it talks about there's these, uh, this, these leaves from the tree that are for the healing of the nations. I think of the ways you guys reach out to the community, bringing healing to the people in your area, giving them a taste of that, that city to come, and being able to drink uh, from the, the living water of Jesus Christ through the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, through this church. People are drinking. People are coming to the Lord. People are coming to faith through New City Church. You guys are a, a new city of hope, bringing hope to Kansas City. So I just want to just tell you how much we appreciate you and love you guys and respect you guys and are learning from you guys. You know, we, we, we said, Lord, we want a church that we can learn from, that do things better than we do, that we can learn from them and grow from them for their example. And there's parts of Jesus in this church that are a lot stronger than our congregation. And we're seeking the benefit from that and learn and be discipled by that. So I'm, I'm being serious. I, I really feel this way. And we feel this way as a leadership team at Kingdom Living. So uh, we're praising God for you. I hope you can hear the heart, uh, sincerity behind that. So today, I'm going to continue the New City teaching series. i put a bow on it. The series is focusing on how Jesus completes our hope, peace, joy, and love. And as a bow completes the wrapping of a present, so Jesus completes these realities in us. He completes our hope. He completes our peace. He completes our joy. He completes our love. Now, in this season of year, when hundreds of millions of Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus, uh, we come together here, you know, a week before this final celebration of the incarnation, when God becomes flesh. We come here, and there's millions of Christians preparing to celebrate this. And I realize some Christians love everything about Christmas. They love it all. And I get that. That's awesome. But for some, perhaps many, Christmas can be a difficult season. Even for Jesus followers. Christians are not immune to the financial stresses and pressures that can so often surround the holiday season. And maybe some even experience an inward guilt for being worried about bills and how to pay for gifts during the season that's supposed to be focused on Christ. Some of you may be struggling with tensions or long-standing disruptions in family relationships or friendships. Because of this, you may feel a low-grade anxiety that maybe people around you can feel, but you don't have any idea that who to talk to about it or even where to start. Some of you may be remembering lost loved ones in this season and feeling the pain of their absence. You're trying to hold on to those good memories. Perhaps some of those memories are bringing you sadness. Perhaps some memories are putting a smile on your face or even causing you to burst forth in joy as you remember that moment with your loved one. Others also may be experiencing a sense of loneliness, perhaps chronic, accompanied by depression because of a debilitating illness or because you don't have family to celebrate with in these holidays. These kinds of emotions and circumstances may not be what we're all experiencing individually, but in compassionate identification and solidarity with the other, we can mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. But whatever's going on in the season, we can be reminded afresh to center our hearts on Jesus the Messiah. 
we can be reminded afresh to center our hearts that he is the one who initiates our hope, our peace, our joy, our love, and he's the one who completes it. We can be reminded, we can be encouraged, we can be renewed, we can be strengthened, we can be enlivened, we can be enlightened through Jesus the Messiah and the Holy Spirit because he is present with us no matter what we're going through. We have hope because our good father will never let us down. He will always keep his promises to us. And we can be freshly reminded that in the season of Advent, that just as the Messiah came in his first coming, he is coming back. And he's coming back to give us an inheritance. He's coming back to complete our joy. He's coming back to give us transformed, immortal bodies, resurrected bodies, like he had when he rose from the dead. And he's coming back to bring us into the age to come, the fullness of the kingdom of God, when the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He's coming back for you, church. He's coming back, so have hope. He's coming back. Rejoice. Be renewed in your hope in this great season, this great time. So today I have the privilege to speak to you about how Jesus completes our joy. And I'm going to give you an anchor point for the whole message. You ready? You ready? All right. Jesus will complete our joy as we abide in Jesus' love. Jesus will complete our joy as we abide in Jesus' love. And we can abide in Jesus' love with the ever-present help of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent. John 15, beginning in verse 9, Jesus is speaking, Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. It's a command. Abide in my love. How do we abide in his love if we don't know his love? How do we remain in it, stay in it, persevere in it, keep in it if we don't know it? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. And this is what we're talking about today, right here. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Moving on to verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, about Jesus. And you also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, what is Jesus' love like? If Jesus commands us to abide in his love, we need to know his love. We need to know what his love is like. So let's let's talk a little bit about what Jesus' love is like. Number one, Jesus' love for us is a promise-making, promise-keeping love. A promise-making, promise-keeping love or if you will, covenant-making, 
covenant-keeping love. That's good news. That's a good word. We could go home right now if we all knew that 100%. But I don't sometimes know it 100%. I know it in my head. But I don't always live every day, every moment with that burning in me as a truth. So we need to hear it afresh. We need to be reminded. But we want to make sure we're understanding the Bible accurately and clearly. We want to look at the promises of God and understand them in their authorial intention. So much of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, is focused on this promise-making, promise-keeping love of God for the Jewish people, for Israel. So how should we, as Christians, read these promises that are mostly to the Jewish people, directed to the Jewish people, directed to the people of Israel? Now, there are three basic ways Christians tend to read these promises in the Old Testament, and two of them are off the mark. The first way is to read the promises in a replacement way, where the promises made to Israel no longer apply to Israel, but only to the church. This is known as replacement theology or supersessionism, where the church replaces Israel in God's plan. This is like me giving promises to my firstborn son, reneging on them and giving them to the second and thirdborn to the exclusion of the firstborn. That's just bad parenting. God isn't a bad parent. The second way to read the Old Testament promises is in a self-displacement way. Not in a replacement way, but in a self-displacement way. Where Christians read the promises made to Israel as only for Israel and not at all for the church. This is like promising your firstborn son ice cream and not giving your other kids ice cream too. Or worse, and more serious, reading the Old Testament promises as being only for Israel, not for the church, is like providing love, shelter, clothing, food, and protection for your firstborn child and not also for your other kids. That is bad parenting too, and God's not a bad parent. The third way of reading the Old Testament promises, is reading the promises made to Israel as remaining for Israel, but also for the church. And this is essentially correct. All the promises are yes and amen in Jesus the Messiah. So all the promises made to Israel can only be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. But those of us who are non-Jewish, people from every nation, people, tribe, and tongue, who come into Jesus the Messiah, we partake of those promises. But not in a way that replaces Israel. This is one of our core convictions at Kingdom Living. For in Messiah, who is the eternal Son of God, the nation of Israel, is the firstborn, according to Scripture, Exodus 4.22. So as the firstborn... He shares in Jesus' relationship as the Son of God with the Father. And just like when we are born again and receive the Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father, too. We in Christ share in Jesus' relationship with the Father. Because God's plan has always been for believers from every nation, people, tribe, and language to be fully included in this household, 
not replacing Israel, but with Israel as one unified family of Jew and Gentile in Jesus. This is the salvation God promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the nation of Israel. And this is the promise God keeps in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 6, and 7 teaches so clearly the apostolic gospel where it says, through the gospel, the Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people from every nation, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Or in the olive tree metaphor of Romans 11, we who are believers from among the Gentiles are wild olive branches, according to Paul. And we've been grafted into Israel's olive tree. Therefore, along with Jewish believers in Jesus, we are co-heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah. We inherit the kingdom with them, not in replacement of them. We share in the covenants of promise with the saved of Israel, not in replacement of them. Even the image of Jesus being the vine can be read in this way. In the Old Testament, the vine was a metaphor for who? Israel. Jesus, as the king of the Jews, is the representative of Israel. He is the vine representing Israel. Jesus' first 12 branches of the vine were his 12 Jewish apostles. They represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Those of us from the nations who are in Christ are equally loved by God and are joined to the Jewish branches on the Jewish vine, who is Christ. Now, why am I sharing all this? Because we're talking about abiding in Jesus' promise-making, promise-keeping love. And if we read the Old Testament promises to Israel rightly, we will not only understand the continued role of Israel in God's plan, we will also get a window into his promise-keeping love for each of us. Yet his love is not just a promise-keeping love. His love for us is everlasting love. Remember John 15, 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, when we read John 17, verse 24, Jesus is talking to his Father. And Jesus is saying, Father, you loved me from before the foundation of the world. So if the Father loved Jesus before the foundation of the world, which might be easier for us to understand because he's the eternal son. But based on John 15, 9, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus has loved us from before the foundation of the world because he loves us just as the father has loved him. Jesus has loved you for a long time. He loved you before you were born. He loved you before you ever sinned. He loved you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you before you were born. He loved you enough to bring you into a relationship with Christ. Not just to die for you, not just to rise for you, not just to ascend, but to actually bring you into a relationship with himself. That was his love who did that, that everlasting love. And just like his love is everlasting, well, if it's everlasting, then it's present with you today, and it's going to be with you tomorrow, and it's going to be with you the next day, and it's going to be with you next week, and next month, and next year, and all your worries and fears in the future can vanish when you get a revelation of how his love is everlasting for you. 
And his love is with New City Church, and it's powerfully with New City Church. And it's touching the world. It's touching Kansas City. It's touching other churches. It's pouring out of New City Church. But if you're going to be a church that keeps pouring out the love of Christ, you need to keep receiving the love of Christ. You need to keep letting Christ pour into you his love and the knowledge of his love and renewing you in his love and growing you in his love because I know abiding in his love is a value of New City Church. But like I said before, we can only abide in Christ's love to the degree we know his love. Therefore, we have a responsibility to receive his love so that we can pour out more of Christ's love. His love is everlasting. His love is not just everlasting. It's stronger than death. It's fiercer than the grave. And nothing can separate you from his love. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus died, but the love of the Father for him was so strong. Death could not hold Jesus in the grave. And that's how Jesus loves you. His love for you, his love for me, his love for his church is stronger than death. It's fiercer than the grave. So that nothing, not even the greatest enemy death, can separate us from the love of Christ. That even if we die, we have the hope that his love is stronger than death. If we die before Christ returns, his love will manifest in our resurrection from the dead because his love is fiercer than the grave. His love is not just stronger than death. His love is also the love of a friend. It's friendship love. There's no greater life than one lays down his life for his friends. Do you know Christ as a friend? Do you have the intimacy with Christ where you can call him your friend because he calls you his friend if you are in Christ. And he wants you to know that he sees you that way. In John 15, 15, Christ is talking to his disciples. Beloved, this is before he goes to the cross. This is before his disciples abandon him. Jesus knows they're going to abandon him. They're still calling them friends. Being a friend of Jesus does mean being obedient, as the text says. But it doesn't mean being perfect. It doesn't mean we're never weak. That just because you're weak sometimes, it doesn't mean you're not a friend of Jesus. Jesus calls you friend. And as a friend, he opens up his heart to us. He lets us in on his heart. Just like Moses in Exodus 33:11 speaks of Moses' relationship with God, that God would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend, this face-to-face intimacy, this face-to-face relationship. And remember in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, where, where God comes down to Moses and declares his name to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, 
Who was that declaring God's name to Moses? I suggest it was the pre-incarnate Christ declaring the Father's name to Moses. In John 17, 26, what's one of the promises Jesus gives us? That he would declare the name of the Father to us. Just like he declared it to Moses, he will declare it to you. Because he reveals what's most important to him, to his friends. And what's most important to him is his Father. And he promises to reveal that to each of us through our friendship with him. He also lets us in on his plans. Remember, as the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us. When well, John 5, 19 through 20, we have this picture of Jesus' relationship with the Father. That the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. But wow, that's amazing. You only do what you see the Father doing, but what's the reason the text gives? It says because the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he does. This is the same principle that Jesus is telling the disciples in John 15, 15, that Jesus is telling us, I'm not primarily thinking of you as servants anymore, but as friends, because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but you're friends. I'm letting you in on my playbook so that you know your part in the game, you know your role. He's not trying to keep us in the dark. He's trying to let us into his heart. He's trying to let you into his heart. He's trying to invite you and say, come closer to my heart. Cry out to me and I will show you things that you never knew. I'll open up the treasures of my word and speak to you by my spirit. And I will show you how I've created you to participate in my work on the earth. In greater ways beyond what you could ask or think. His love for us is not just a friendship love. Jesus is crazy about us. He's crazy about us. I mean, to die on the cross for us, that's crazy love. That's a lot of love. This sacrificial, this servant love of Jesus, but it's, it's crazy. It's, it's the quantity, the depth, the height, the width. It's crazy love. Who would have thought of this? God. Who's ever heard of the word agape? Right? It's one of the primary Greek words we, we use to, 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 to speak of the love of Christ, right? Well, do you know the first time it's used in the Old Testament? Because in the, in, the, in, the, in the times of Jesus, most Jewish people in the world didn't speak Hebrew. Greek was the English of the time. So they, they, you know, even before the time of Jesus, they translated the Bible into Greek. And this Greek translation called the Septuagint is, is quoted a lot in our New Testament scriptures. So where's this word agape found in the Septuagint? The first time it's found is in Abraham's love for Isaac, a parent's love for his son. Who's crazy about their kids? Yeah, we're crazy about them. They, they, they do some of the, the stupidest things, you know? But you're crazy about them. You're like, I don't care. I do care, but I'm still crazy about them. Right? We just love them. That's the first time agape is used. Abraham's love for Isaac. We 
which is a picture of the Father's love for Jesus, His only Son, which is a picture of Jesus' love for you. He's crazy about you. Important question. How can we abide in this promise-making, promise-keeping, everlasting, stronger-than-the-grave love of our friend Jesus who is crazy about us? with the ever-present help of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent us? That's the answer. Yes, we study the testimony of Scripture. We show ourselves approved. We get in the Word of God and we study out the love of God. Because we're going to abide in it. We've got to know it according to Scripture. But study isn't enough. We need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26, 27. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He will testify about me. So what is this very important role of the Holy Spirit? To testify about Jesus, the Son of God. And testifying about the love of Jesus is a big part of that. Would you agree? Verse 27, you also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus' love for us. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus' love for us. He communicates to us about Jesus' love. He communicates to us all the truth about Jesus as we grow in our Christian life, as we grow as the body of Messiah throughout the centuries and throughout the world, he's continuing to teach us about Jesus. But so importantly, if we don't have love, we're, we really don't have much. So we so need the Holy Spirit to testify to us, even as Christians, even as believers of the love of Jesus. It's not like, well, that was elementary. Now I want to go to the deep things of the Christian life. Beloved, it's an infinite love. We can never end our journey into knowing the love of Christ. So let's treat it as something glorious and pursue it and receive it and be renewed in it and abide in it. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just testify to us about Jesus' love. He helps us to grasp it. He helps us to really get it. Let's read in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From him, every family in heaven and on earth receives its name. I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. The Hebrew is Ruach, Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in a love that's abiding, may have strength. Beloved, we need strength. You know you need strength. You need power from the Ruach HaKodesh to actually grasp the love of Christ. We can't just know it. just been pure natural thinking or pure natural emotions. We need a power to know the love of Christ. According to the Apostle Paul, who I, I think is a good writer. <laughs> Why do we need this strength? To grasp with all the kedoshim. It's a Hebrew word for saints. 
the holy ones. Holy, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. They sing in heaven, the four living creatures, day and night. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And then he names those in Christ as holy ones. What is this identity God has given us as the church? What is this grace? What is this love? But look at the result of this empowering of the Ruach HaKodesh. It's so that we will, with all the saints, know what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Messiah which surpasses knowledge so you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Man, I want that. So as a church where the Holy Spirit is already dwelling, where the Holy Spirit is already working, where the Holy Spirit is already ministering Christ to the people of God and ministering Christ to all those God is calling to himself through Jesus in partnership with this church. When you gather together, I want to encourage you to expect more of the presence of the Holy Spirit as you worship the risen Lord. The Holy Spirit is sometimes unpredictable, but he's always biblical. He's unpredictable, but he's always biblical. He is creative in his ways, but always consistent in his nature. The Holy Spirit wants to testify to New City Church more about the love of Christ for New City Church, the love of Christ for the world, the love of Christ for one another. But he doesn't just want to testify. He wants us to grasp it. He wants us to be on a journey into the infinite love of Christ, to know it, to abide in it, to walk in it. And this is how Jesus says our joy is made complete. Verse 11, 15. 15 verse 11. Better way to say that. <laughs> Jesus says in this context of abiding, in this context of him sending the helper, he says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He's like, count on my word, church. This is why I'm saying this. Believe this is why I'm saying this. I'm calling you into a radical lifestyle of abiding in my love. Why? Because I want my joy to be in you and I want your joy to be full. I want to complete your joy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the love of your son, Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the work you're doing, Father, in this church, all the work of the Holy Spirit active in this church, exalting Jesus shining forth the love of Jesus to the community, shining forth the generosity of Jesus to churches and congregations, pastors and leaders. Lord, we give you thanks for your work in this church. But Lord, you tell us to abide, Jesus, in your love. So I'm asking you just to renew us in your love. Renew us in your love, Jesus. 
by the Holy Spirit that you've sent. Open up our hearts, Lord Jesus, to receive more of the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, to know your love, to go on this journey with hunger and thirst, to know your infinite love, to receive as much of it as possible, and to pour it out on each other and into the world. Fill us with your joy, Jesus, so that the world will see a glorious Christ in us.